we are honoring all the men today, uh, I don't I don't know about you, but I've had I've had these experiences before where like in church when I was a kid, there would sometimes be like Mother's Day was the day that, you know, we honor the moms and there's flowers and there's chocolate and it's really nice. And then on Father's Day, it's like, men, you got to straighten up and get it right and do it right. You know what I mean? And um, but we don't want to do that, man. We want to say, you know what? Actually, if you're here, if you're a man and you're here today, you're here intentionally. You've decided, you've made a choice that I'm going to pursue the things of God. I'm going to come after the things of God. I might not have it all lined up yet, but I'm coming after it. And so we honor you guys for being there. We love you. We respect you. Can we hear it one more time for the men in the house? Amen. What a better day to start our new series, too. We've got a new series called Heroes. And we're going to spend the next few weeks in this series exploring what it means to be a hero. We're going to look at the heroes of the faith and we're going to dive in and figure out, like, how do, we, how do we emulate them? How do we walk like them? How do we talk like them? How do we grow into them? There's a great, uh, great scripture where the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Uh, and, and what he means by that is sometimes we need models, guys. Sometimes we need somebody to look at who's a little further down the path than us. You know, and it's, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus, but Jesus is perfect. You know, and sometimes we need an imperfect person that we can relate to to go, okay, so how are you doing that? How did you make that step? And guess what? All of the heroes of the faith were imperfect people. They were in there. It's not about their perfection. It was about their pursuit. And so we're going we're gonna to spend the next few weeks looking at them and exploring what it means to walk that out. How do you become a hero? So I want to give you a working definition of a hero for this series as we're going to explore for the next few weeks. Here's our working defin- a definition. is a, a hero is a person who takes action takes action for the good of somebody other than him or herself at a personal risk. So there's, there's risk involved, right? Something bad could happen without regard for personal gain. That's what a hero is. It's a person who takes a step, who takes an action for somebody else with a risk to, to themselves and without regard for like what you're going to get out of it. That's what a hero is. We're going to, we're going to spend the next several weeks looking at some heroes in the scripture. There's a, a story that some of you may remember from several years back. There was a man named Wesley Autry. And Wesley uh, was a construction worker and uh, a former uh, a Navy veteran, a Navy veteran. And he lived in New York City. One day, uh, he was standing on the platform of the subway. And there were probably 75 people or so on the subway platform that day. And he had two, uh, two, his two daughters with him and then, you know, just, just a, a bunch of people. And he noticed um, near the tracks that a young man, about a 20-year-old uh, film student, actually, uh, was having a seizure and fell down on the platform uh, uh, alongside the tracks. Um, and so Wesley ran over with another person and, and they assisted this kid uh, as, his, as he went through the seizure. And the seizure passed and the tremors passed. And he kind of regained consciousness um, and looked to, appeared to have his bearings and stood up. And so they made sure everything was okay. And then it seemed like everything was okay. And, and so they left him alone. Well, a few minutes later, as you can hear the train coming down the track, this young man tripped up, lost, got disoriented, was still not completely recovered from the seizure, and fell down into the tracks right there uh, in, in New York where the subway comes from. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but those trains come flying in on those rails, man. I mean, they just come flying in. So this young man is down on the track. Well, Wesley, out of, you know, just instinct, instinctively, just out of nowhere, jumped down onto the track 
to try to grab this young man and pull him up out, off the track. But as soon as he got on the track, he heard the whistle of the train blow. He looked up. He saw the light coming towards him. He was able to gauge in that moment how quickly the train was coming. And he was left with the kind of decision that nobody ever wants to be left with. The decision basically in that moment was, do I jump out of here and save myself? Or do I try to save this unconscious stranger who I've never met and get him off the platform, get him back onto the platform? The problem was that he, Wesley could tell that the train was moving way too quickly. There was no way, if he tried to pick this young man up, there was no way to get him off the track. And so he's facing a, 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 a impossible decision. We're going to spend some time for the next few weeks looking at people who are facing impossible decisions, impossibly difficult decisions where it doesn't appear that there's any good way out. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation or a circumstance where you're like trying to find the good way out. You're like, what is the right decision? Because if I do this, it's it's bad. And if I do that, it might be worse. You know, should I stay or should I go now? If I stay, there could be trouble. You remember. If I go, there may be double. So you don't know which way to go. We've all been in those kinds of situations before. And we've had to try to make hard decisions. So we're going to spend some time looking at the heroes of the faith who are faced with difficult decisions, sometimes impossible situations. And we're going to look at how they, how they walk through those situations. In fact, uh, we're going we're to premise this. On um, And we did this a, a couple of years ago in a different series. We're going to use the same anchor verse. It's from um, uh, in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, actually, the, the writer of Hebrews lists the heroes of the faith. And he just goes through and says, this person is a hero of the faith. They call it the, the hall of fame of faith in the Bible. And, and Abraham and Isaac and Sarah and, you know, the prophets and Daniel and David. And they just go through this list of heroes, right? And then it says something really interesting in the next chapter, in, in chapter 12. It says this. It says, now, since we, meaning you and I, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So, in other words, since we are surrounded by this cloud of heroes, by this group of people who were in impossible situations and made the right decision, since we're uh, surrounded by them, let us throw off everything that hinders uh, and the sin that so easily entangles. And then it says this, and let us run, let us run with perseverance, the race marked for us. Uh, what I love about this scripture is that the implication is that we're all in a race. We've all got this race to win. We've all got this. We've all, we're all on the track of life. There are some heroes that have already run around the track. And, and this great cloud of witnesses, it, it, there was a book by John Maxwell called Running with the Giants. And that, that's the kind of the, the idea uh, is that you've got these, this great cloud of witnesses and, and you're running in this track and you're in this huge coliseum and this track is, is your life and you're running your, your race and, and you're surrounded by people who have already run the race and run it faithfully. Uh, and, and the premise of this series is what if those heroes of the faith, one by one, could come down from the track, from the, from the stands, and run one lap with you. And while they're running a lap with you, they're, they're, they're giving you their wisdom. They're breaking off some insight. They're giving you some truths, some principles that will allow you to run your race well. So we're going to spend the next few weeks in this concept that each person, each hero we look at is going to, to come down uh, and, and give us some insight and wisdom about how to run our race well, and we're going to start today with one of my favorite 
Bible characters named Noah. Everybody knows Noah. Noah needs little introduction. Every child seemingly on the planet knows the story of Noah and the ark and the flood and the animals and the rainbow and the whole deal. But today I want to I I explore what I think are the core themes in this, in this story because Noah, Noah is the story of somebody who's trying to make good decisions in a bad situation. He's trying to make something right out of something that's very, very wrong. So let's explore together. I'm going to read you a long passage about Noah, and then we're going to dig into it a little bit. The scripture in Genesis chapter 6 said that the Lord observed the extent of the human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that, and and this sentence I love, he says, I saw that everything that people thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. I mean, this is very emphatic language. This isn't like some people were sometimes kind of bad. This is everybody was only thinking and doing bad things all the time, period. The the place was a mess. There was nobody doing right. In fact, the scripture says it was so bad that the Lord was sorry that he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. He said this, this, everybody has turned against me. Everybody is running the opposite direction. Every human being on the planet consistently forever is going the wrong way. And the Lord said this. The Lord said, I'm going to hit reset. I will wipe the human race I have created from the face of the earth. And not just the human race. It says this. Yes, and I'm going to destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the little animals, the scurry along the ground, and all of the birds of the sky. I am sorry, he said, that I ever made them. This is, so, so the Bible is trying to give you this this very stark and large kind of emphatic world where you've got this, this environment where everything is wrong. Everything is, is bad. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where it's like there's just really no good in this situation. It feels like there's just no good. There's no way out of this situation. My, our, um, our refrigerator, this is not that bad, okay? This, is not, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't compared with the Noah thing, but our refrigerator and freezer uh, uh, broke this week. Um, there's a little, a little tiny part in the back called a condenser relay start something or other, something masculine and manly. It's a piece back there that I don't, um, anyway, this thing, this thing didn't, didn't, didn't work. And we didn't notice that the refrigerator stopped working until about 24 hours after the refrigerator started working. So everything in the fridge and in the freezer was bad. All right. Like the ice cream was melted on the floor. The butter was rank. The cheese was bad. Mold was growing on stuff. I mean, it was nasty. There may have been something worth preserving, but so much was so bad that we just had to throw it all out. We just took all of it out and threw it all out and got rid of it. And then I started YouTubing how to fix one's refrigerator. But anyway, before I YouTube that, we had to just throw everything out. That's the, that's the image of this scripture that the Lord has said, everything has gone rotten. Everything has gone bad. So bad that I can't, I can't even return. I can't turn it around. I'm going to start fresh. But there was one glimmer of hope, one little teeny tiny glimmer on the earth. The scripture says this, but Noah, there was one guy, Noah found favor with the Lord. Why? Noah was a righteous man. The only blameless person living on the earth at the time. Now, some commentators say, you know, by comparison, it wasn't very hard for him to seem blameless because everybody was so bad. But, but blame, he was the only person, blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked 
I love this. He walked in close fellowship with God. So God says to Noah, Noah, I want you to build a large boat. Somebody say build a boat. Build a boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. And it says, I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat. Get into the boat. You and your wife and your sons and their wives and not only them, but bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. And the scripture says Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded. So today I want to speak with you for just a few minutes on the topic, build your boat. Somebody say, build your boat. What I, what I mean by build your boat is that I believe this story is teaching us to build a life that can withstand the floodwaters of sin and temptation. I believe this story is teaching us to build a life that, 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 that can ride atop the waves of fear and desperation and uncertainty. I believe that this story is teaching us to build a life that provides security and safety to the vulnerable. I think in this story, God is saying to you and to I, hey, build your boat. And, and here's the reality. If you're here today, you're already working on the boat that God wants you to build. You're already working on, you're already working on the life that he wants you to, to pursue. You're already pursuing the things that he's calling you to pursue, right? So really, you could call this, this sermon, keep building your boat, somebody. Just keep building your boat. I want this to be an encouraging and an inspiring and empowering sermon about how you and I are called to build a life that brings honor to God, that brings service to somebody else, and, and, and that allows us to fulfill the purposes and the destiny that God has for us. So the question that we're going to ask Noah is, all right, Noah, how do we do this? How do we build the boat? How do we, like you, take action, right, for the benefit of others at a personal risk without concern for our reward? In other words, for, for a purpose higher than ourselves. And I think if Moses was here today answering that question, the first thing he would say is this. If you want to stand out, you got to stand up. If you, want to, if you want to stand out, you got to stand up. There, there are going to be times in your life where the flood waters are all flowing one direction. Guys, it, it, there are going to be times in your life where you're going to have to stand against the pressure of things coming at you. I don't know about you, but I, I'm a person, maybe this is a, you know, it's every, all of us have these gifts, and on the flip side of the gifts, we have weaknesses or ungifts or whatever you want to call it, the anti-gift. One of the gifts, we'll work on that. We'll work on that, Barry. Um, the, the gift, one of the gifts that I have is that I really enjoy people, and I, I love people, and I like to be around people, and I'm, it's just a gift. It's, just, it's not anything special. It's just, it's just who I am. It's just part of my personality. The, the flip side of that is I really want to be liked. Yeah? I want people to like me, right? But, but sometimes when a, when a flood is coming... God's calling us to stand up against a flood, right? Noah was going against the tide. Everybody on the earth was only thinking bad things all the time, no matter what, continuously, emphatically, forever and ever. But one man said, I'm going to stand up. One man said, I'm going to cut against the grain. I'm going to go against the flow. I'm going to stand up for what's right, no matter what comes my way, no matter what the risk is to me. There, there was... 
Let me give you an example. There, there was some of you may remember this and and, and many of you were not born during this time. But uh, in June of 1989, there was in Beijing, there was a student movement that was trying to usher in democracy into China. And they were they were protesting uh, the overreach of the government and, and the Communist Party. And they were trying to stand up against, you know, uh, oppressive uh, uh, m- militaristic might and they were trying to usher in democracy and at first the Chinese government was working with them and trying to you know kind of work this thing out and they were being conciliatory but at a certain point they said enough is enough and they started bringing in tanks and guns and 300,000 troops and there was this thing called the, the, the uh, June 4th massacre and this happened in Tiananmen Square in Beijing and the troops, the, the local troops, opened fire on these unarmed students and unarmed protesters, and they started clearing out Tiananmen Square. I don't know if any of you remember this, but it was, it was, it was a bloodshed. It was a massacre. But, but there was one person who said, I'm going to stand up against this regime. Even though I, I don't know if I can win, I'm going to stand up. It, his, his decision created one of the most iconic pictures of the 20th century. You guys will remember him. He was called the Tank Man. Anybody ever seen this image? This was, this was one man. Nobody even knows who this was. Nobody knows his name. One man, in fact, it looks like that when the, the photographers that were there said, it, it looks like he was carrying grocery bags. This is, just an, this is just an ordinary guy going about an ordinary day, and the troops are coming in, and things are flooding in against him. And, and, and he said, you know what? I'm going to stand up. In fact, this tank kind of tried to move to the left, and he would go to the left. And they tried to move to the right, and he would go, and he kept blocking this tank. And if you want to get a real picture of how overwhelming the power was that he was trying to stand up against, look at the uncropped picture. That's him down in the bottom. And there are just literally hundreds of tanks, 300,000 troops. And what makes this picture so iconic and what makes this person so fascinating is that he said, I'm going to stand up against the forces that are coming against me, and I'm going to stand up no matter what the cost. I'm going to take action for the benefit of others at a personal risk to myself. Regardless of the outcome, I'm going to stand up. Sometimes God is calling us to stand up against things that are happening in our lives, whether at work, on our, with our family, at our school, on our job, in our community. And God's saying, look, I, if you want to build a boat that lasts, there are some times where you've got to stand up to stand out. Sometimes you're going to have to stand up. In fact, Jesus put it like this. He said, if anybody wants to come after me, they need to take up their cross. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. There's a cost associated with being a person who builds, the, uh, builds a good boat. There's a cost associated with being a follower of Jesus. And he said this, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake is going to find life. There's something deeper going on. You want to really find life, there are times you've got to stand up. There are times, men, where we've got to stand up. And we got to stand strong. And when the evil is coming against us, we got to stand up. Come on, somebody. Anybody with me this morning? Here's, here's the second principle that we learned from Noah's life. And that is this. you got to persevere even when there's no apparent progress. Anybody, anybody have one of those experiences where you, you're just trying to stay in it even though you can't see that the outcome, you can't see the outcome yet? You can't, right? You're trying to stay faithful even though you don't see the fruit. Anybody been there? You're trying to, you're trying to, you're trying to stay in the routine even though you can't see the result yet. Anybody ever been a, joined a gym and been in there for a couple months, right? You're like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to keep persevering even though I'm not seeing the progress that I was hoping to see. Come on. 
And, and, and in fact, one, one preacher put it like this. He said, you know, we all, we all want the glory, but we don't like the grind, right? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to stay in it when you don't see the outcome. But when you, when you stay in it, when you persevere, you will eventually see the reward. You will eventually get there. Anybody, anybody notice any kind of sporting events happen this week? Any important sporting? Anything happen that was interesting sport-wise? <clears throat> I feel like there was a hockey game. <laughs> um, I don't even follow hockey. And, like, I'm, I, I'm watching game seven. I got chills. So I'm screaming at the TV. Come on, guys. I don't know. I don't even know anybody's names. You know? <laughs> but I'm in it, right? Why? 49 freaking years is why. 49 years since you've been to the Stanley Cup. Last time you were there, you got swept all four games, right? That's talk about, you want to talk about perseverance without seeing apparent results yet? Right? These guys stayed in it. This is why, this is why there are parades. This is why people are celebrating. This is why people are singing Gloria. Come on, somebody. Right? This is why an 80s song has been re... I think I got your number. I think they got the alias that you've been living under. I'm not even going to sing it. I wanted the church to sing Gloria. Next time. Next time Stanley Cup happens. 49 years from now, we're going to sing that song together as a church. All right? Guys, all of us, men and women, we have these situations in our life where sometimes we just have to persevere, even though we can't see the result. Even though we do not see the fruit of it yet, we have to stay faithful. Noah was building that ark decade after decade. Can you imagine the people coming by in the neighborhood? Hey, Noah, any rain yet? Noah, any precipitation happening? No. Go for wood. Just persevering. Just persevering without any apparent progress. But finally, there were some drops of rain. And sometimes some, some drops of rain finally came. And if he hadn't persevered, he wouldn't have won. This is the way the scripture says it. It says, let us not become weary in well-doing, in doing good. For at the proper time, which is God's time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If you, you cannot lose if you don't give up. I should get a better amen on that one. You cannot lose if you do not give up. If you stay in the fight, you will win. That's what, that's what Noah would say. If he came down from the stands and we were running around the stands, he would say, man, don't give up. I was building a boat for, for decades. Some, some commentators say he was building the boat for 120 years. He was building the boat for a long time before there was anything that even resembled progress. He, he would say, stay in it. Stay in the fight. Stay after it. Last thing that he would say to us if he was coming down out of the stands today is this. He would say, if you want to build a good boat, you got to have the right tools. You got to have the right tools if you want to build a boat. Anybody ever tried to build something at your house or fix something and you didn't have the exact right tool for it? Anybody ever done that? Some of you guys. Why are the wives nodding more vigorously than the men? They're nodding on behalf of their... Um, yeah, it, for me, the default tool is a hammer. It just seems to fit in with almost anything. But um, I'm going to tell you one story. I'm just going to be one revealing story, and then I'll, and I'm gonna close. Um, not long ago, a couple weeks ago, we, we, my wife and I had talked about needing to trim the tree in our backyard. And um, the tree in our backyard 
you know, it was, the, it was overgrowing. Their limbs were coming out and, and they were falling in the gutter and it was a big pain for me. So I, I, was, I, was, I was all for this tree trimming goal. And the problem was that the limbs that we needed to trim, we only really needed to trim them about four or five feet back. And there's a tool for that. There's a long tool, some of you have seen it, the long tool, and it goes up and it kind of connects with the branch, and then you can cut the branch off from the ground. Because, because the branch is so far out, you can't put a ladder against that because the, the branch is, is too weak, right? Are you following me right now? Or am I crazy, right? So there's a long tool. Well, I didn't have that tool. I didn't have that tool. So I thought to myself, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just take a ladder and put it near the trunk. And I'll just chop those limbs off right at the trunk because they'll grow back, you know? And I don't have the right tool to trim them out where I need to. Now, here's what I didn't know. I didn't realize that every morning, my wife and my daughter would go into the kitchen, get themselves a little cup of tea, look out the window at the beautiful blossoms that were growing on those branches, take pictures, have a mother-daughter moment, and just really loving and enjoying the beauty of this tree. I didn't realize how important that was. I'm married to an artist, and beauty is very important. And so when I decided, since I don't have the right tool, I'm going to go a different route, and I'm just going to cut these limbs off at the trunk, I, at the end of my project, felt pretty good about myself. <laughs> Until my wife came down and saw the havoc that had been wreaked upon the tree. Because the tree now had a canopy that was beautiful and round on one side, and then was sheer and straight on the other. <laughs> It was just a half tree. Let me tell you, that, that did not go well for me. That whole experience did not turn out well. In fact, I don't think, and I, I, I mean this, I don't think my wife, she would tell you, has ever been more upset at me, more angry at me than, than during that, those two weeks. It kind of lasted a while, actually, of, of having chopped those, those branches down. Which I'm ultimately going to take as a win because if the worst thing I've done in 12 years of marriage is cut some tree limbs back too far, I'm, I'm taking that. I'm going to go to the bank with that. I'm going to stick with that. Um, here, here's the reality. If you want to build a good boat, you got to have the right tools, man. you got to use the right tools so you don't butcher this thing, right? Here, here's what I love about Noah. Noah had a secret weapon. Noah had a secret weapon, and here's his secret weapon. Secret weapon is this. He walked in close fellowship with God. This is how he got it done. So when you walk in close fellowship with God, that's how you win at the end. He was in close. So, so, so in close fellowship with God means that he employed some tools. He had some tools to keep him in close fellowship with God. Everything we do as a church is to equip you to be in close fellowship with God and in close fellowship with other people. So when we do Saturday morning prayer, that's a tool. We want to give you that tool so that you can be in prayer and be in close fellowship with God. When we launch life groups, right, Sister Dolores, that's, that's a tool. That is a tool that's supposed to help you draw closer to God and closer to each other. Our dream team, that's a tool. That's a tool to help you draw closer to God and closer to you. Everything that we do as a church is to give you the tools in order to draw close to God, to be in close fellowship with God. That's what, that's what made Noah win. That's how Noah won in the end is that he was drawing close to God. So the question that I have for you today 
is what kind of boat do you want to build? What kind of life are you building? Right? If you're here today, let me just say this. Keep on building the boat that you are building. Men, keep going after it. Keep coming after what God has for us. Because the reality is, is that God wants every single one of us to not just look at and admire the heroes of the faith. He wants us to emulate the heroes of the faith. He wants us to become heroes of the faith. He wants, he wants our lives to be descriptive and prescriptive for the generations that are behind us. He wants, even as we are modeling our lives on the heroes of the faith in Scripture, he wants us to be models of the faith so that people coming behind us, these young men and young women coming up behind us can go, I've got somebody to follow. I want to build a boat like them. I want to build a life like that. I want to pursue the same things that they're pursuing. When Wesley Autry was standing down in the subway trench, and he's down there, and this young man is laying on the tracks, and there's really, there's really no good answer. There's really no good way out of this. If I jump out, this young man's going to die. If I try to pick him up and pull him out, we're both going to die. Wesley Autry did something that no one, no one could have imagined. He looked at the train that was coming down at a very high rate of speed. The light is bearing down. The whistle is blowing. The conductor is trying to throw on the brakes, but there's just no time. They're flying. And Wesley Autry made a split-level, split-moment decision. He scooped up the arms and the legs of this young man, this stranger that he had never met, except for that day on the platform. Didn't know his name. Didn't know anything about him. He scooped him up. He pushed him down on the ground, and then he pushed his own body on top of this young man. He looked at the train, and he said, if I push this guy down far enough and squeeze myself down on top of him, that train might go over us. Later, experts discovered that, that the rise between the ground and the bottom of the train is 21 inches and that the height of Wesley's body on top of this young man's body was 20 and a half inches. Wesley Autry was wearing a blue, light blue sock hat and the train smudged the top of his, of his hat. It was that close and they both lived. They ended up calling Wesley Autry uh, the hero of Harlem and the subway Superman. And this is what Wesley Autry said about that moment. He said, it was as if something was telling me to do what I'd done. He said, a voice out of nowhere said, go save that life. That life is a life worth saving and don't worry about your own. It seemed, he said, like something just lifted me up off the platform. Wesley Autry, son of a Baptist preacher, had heard some stories in his time. And I believe God spoke to him in that moment. And he did something that was truly heroic. He took an action for the good of somebody else at a grave personal risk without regard of what would happen to him, without regard of the reward. God is calling you and me to become heroes. He's calling us to become heroes heroes to follow after the things of the of the scripture to follow after the heroes of the faith 
and to become like them. I want to give you guys, all the guys today, I'm going to, we're going to close, close with this. When you come up in just a minute, we're going to give you all a tool. All right? I don't know if it's the right tool for the project you're working on this afternoon. But, but we just, just come and take a tool from one of the baskets on your way up in just a moment. Because this is just a reminder that if you want to build a good boat, you got to use the right tools. Keep coming after God. Keep pursuing him. Keep praying. Keep seeking the scriptures. Even when you don't see the fruit that you're desiring, even when you don't see the outcome that you want, stay in the game. Stay in the game because God wants us to build a good boat. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you thankful for every man in this house today, for their desire to serve you and their, their desire to pursue you. And we thank you, Lord God, for their their actions and their efforts, oh God. We thank you, Lord God, for the work that they are doing, Lord, to pursue you uh, and, and, and to take the kind of actions, Lord, that would be to your glory and to the good of others. Thank you for every single man, married, single, old, young, every single man here today, God. I pray that our hearts would be filled with courage, filled with your wisdom, filled with your love, filled with your grace filled with your mercy, that we might live out the life that you've called us to live, that we might become the heroes of the faith to those behind us, to our nephews and our sons and our daughters and the children in our world, God, that we might actually live out the life that you've called us to live. Father, I praise you for this, and I pray that our lives would bring honor, praise, and glory to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen.